Twin Geeks Assemble. This week on the Twin Geek Cast, we have Marvel's final motion picture, The Avengers. We also take a look at Game of Thrones. No, really, this time. And we also have your weekend box office. Movies and friendship. Those are mysteries. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Welcome back to another Twin Geek cast. This week we brought uh, Tyler back on. Uh, he has a few things he wants to say about our recent podcast. Yeah, I'm here to set the record straight with uh, all that Game of Thrones talk you guys did a couple episodes ago. Yeah, we're, suffice to say we did not do a very good job. We tried to be objectively correct, but seeing as neither of us have seen the show, uh, I don't know what we've done. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I can do it a little more justice. Uh uh, the last season certainly deserves it, in my opinion. Yeah, your your reviews have been up on the site. They've been extremely positive so far. Yeah, I'm very positive on the season um, up to this point. I think it's been a, um, a big improvement on the last season, to be sure. Uh, do you have anything to say as far as the impact of the show as a whole? I know it's a kind of a momentous thing coming to an end here. Yeah, it really is. Um, the viewership has been very high, higher than maybe you would even expect, considering that you know it's on HBO. Um, and I think uh, it's really cool seeing something that you know uh, such a huge majority of the people um, around the world, but especially in the United States, are consuming together at the same time because um, nowadays everybody's attention is so spread out between different things with all the different streaming options and whatnot, but everybody has really um, come together for Game of Thrones in its last season, and it's it's been wild to see. Uh, they, they did a lot of stuff on um, Saturday Night Live with it last night. Um, would you say it's become like the Super Bowl of fiction? <laughs> um, in a way, yeah, in a it's, way. It's become that water cooler show that you could go into work and everyone's seen it, or everyone has at least a hot take, whether it's that it's uh, like Lord of the Rings or informed like yours. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's been it's been a water cooler show for sure. Um, I think it's a little bit um, exaggerated now that it's the final six episodes mm -hmm. but i would say since since around season four it really started to feel like a bigger thing than anything else oh yeah um, and, uh, and there, and there aren't a lot of other tv shows doing that right now right like i remember um breaking bad in its last season 
Um, (laughs) Kind of felt that way, too. By that time, a lot of people had caught up with it on Netflix, so everybody was ready for the final season. It brings me back to kind of Lost was like the main key point where I felt like people were trying to figure out where the show was going before it got there. I mean, Breaking Bad a little bit, too, there was that deep characterization, but that felt more authored, whereas uh, this has that same... Same weird pent-up tension that Lost had for me. Well, the, the thing with Breaking Bad as well is that it had a very clear trajectory. Like, even though we yeah. all didn't know exactly how it was going to end, we, we had a vague idea. You knew Walt wasn't necessarily getting out of there. With uh, Game of Thrones, it seems definitely way more up in the air as to what, what everything's kind of heading towards. Yeah, I would agree with that. No, nobody really seems to know what's going to happen in these next three episodes. The final three... Um, they already had their big battle episode, uh, the Battle of Winterfell, uh, which famously had over 50 days of shooting for a single episode of TV. It's insane. Pretty, insane. <laughs> pretty unprecedented, yeah. A lot of these movies I'm watching at SIF right now, they're shot in like 10 days, by the way. So. <laughs> yeah. That is, it's certainly, it's a huge event. Like we said, uh, you know, I don't think... Uh, anything in television we've seen quite reach this level for quite some time. Like even thinking back, I think the, the last time I think of one, I guess, show ending this big was like when when Seinfeld was still a huge deal, and that was twenty yeah. years ago. Right, that was a huge moment too, and that's the that's the kind of significance I think Game of Thrones will have. Uh, they're already working on three spinoff series, so that should be cool. Yeah, t- I mean, TV in general used to be more you would have more instances like this, like season finales, just because there was less... Everybody was watching cable and um And they, they couldn't options. choose right away from home, right? Like, you, you turn on the TV in the 90s, you weren't able to, like, say, I want to watch this right now. You, you had to watch what everyone else was. Yeah, there was more incentive to watch everything live back then, for sure. Well, especially but, especially since, like, you didn't know necessarily when a rerun was going to come along. You know, nowadays, like, if you miss that episode, you know it's going to be up <laughs> next week to rent on HBO, you know, just on demand or whatever. But back then, you know, you were just screwed if you missed the, the finale. <laughs> Game of Thrones will be up in an hour, but I love that it's still drawing people in, despite all of that going against it. It really feels like you have to watch it live. Yeah, um, for sure. More so than anything else, I would say, in the last 10 years. Um, you want to be watching it live um, because as soon as you go online after it's aired, everybody's talking about it. Nobody's holding holding back spoilers. It doesn't no. <laughs> seem to have that same mm-hmm. effect as Endgame where people were pretty cool about holding back spoilers online, I would say, for the most part, on social media. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. uh, Game of Thrones hasn't been that way at all. No. It's been, like, the people, Wild West. People also live-tweet television, which is a thing. Like, you can't bring your phone into the movie theater, right? But people love to live-tweet a show as it's on. So. so even if I don't watch it, I know everything happening in Game of Thrones at any minute. True. Which is why you still couldn't explain to me what the show was last, last time. Oh. Uh, I know. I mean, I don't even think Tolkien knew what it was after he read it, because he's not even, they're not even following his books anymore. So. <laughs> well, anyhow, why don't we take a look at uh, what's going on in the box office now? Uh, what do you say, guys? Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so uh, sitting here at number 10, probably the last time we'll see this one here, is Dumbo, the latest Disney live-action remake. We've talked a little bit about this. Tyler, do you have any thoughts? Uh, Tim Burton's Dumbo. Um... I've not heard great things. Mm-hmm. Uh, or like... Then again, <laughs> you haven't really heard about 
any great things from Tim Burton's career in quite some time. Yeah, I, th I think we decided the last good thing was like Sweeney Todd more than 10 years ago, and even then that one was kind of uh, an enigma from the crowd. He probably hasn't made anything truly great since like the 90s. Well, he's just been doing Disney work uh, in the past 10 years, basically, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, since Alice, really, I think that was the the huge, the the more indicative turning point of his career. Right. But anyway, yeah, I guess there's not much to to say about it. It seems like about what we expected when it was announced. No. I've heard it's a pretty crazy watch. Like I've heard the actors are doing some weird choices. Yeah, they are. <laughs> All right, uh, taking a look here at number nine, we have Little which uh, none of us have seen, but we understand it's basically a reverse big. Like a, yeah. a, a woman gets turned really into a kid. We don't care about it. Uh, we talked about it a few weeks now. Yeah, not much to say. And I'm sure Tyler doesn't have any input either. Right? Just my only input would be um, the main actress's name in that. Or maybe not the main actress, but um, she was in a smaller film last year, Support the Girls. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, she, yeah, she's really good, but uh, from what I've heard, she cannot save that movie from being a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not rated terribly well, and um, you know, in general, we've had a, a pretty rough going of the box office this this year. Like, not a whole lot that we can say were truly great things so far. No. Right. Anyway, uh, looking a little farther here, we have number eight is Shazam. Which is, Which is also reverse big. Yeah. <laughs> or is it just big? Oh, yeah, it's just big. It's big with superheroes. Did you get a chance to see this one, Tyler? Shazam? No, I still haven't seen it. I have heard it's good, though. I heard most people seem to like it. Um, it lo the trailer looked like a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, it's love Zachary Levi. Mm -hmm. The trailer definitely was a lot of incentive to go. I, I kind of regret having not gone yet. Because um, it did just look like one of the most fun superhero movies, uh, especially out of DC. Very unexpected. Bro's been saying best superhero film of the year, so I want to go see it eventually. Did you guys see Aquaman? Because I've heard Aquaman was pretty good, too. It was fine. I, I didn't <laughs> love it. I've seen a lot of people had fun with it, and it seems that, in general, DC is making the right turn. Like, if Aquaman was, like, sort of the course correction there, that they were getting into the more fun side of things, even if it was supposedly a giant mess shazam seems like more of a okay we definitely got a hold of what we're doing now aquaman was just like three movies in one it was it was a lot of something uh they, they could they could make a good sequel to it well hopefully we'll see that from them uh moving on number seven here we have uh the curse of la lorena which is the newest conjuring film and I'm I'm glad you pronounce it wrong too. Because I, I never get it right. Am I pronouncing it wrong? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. La La Llorona. Llorona. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I feel like an idiot I, now. We but don't like, know very much about it. It's it's about a girl who drowns her kids. That doesn't sound fun to me. It's a it's a Mexican legend that you know. Of course, we're not educated on. No, <laughs> we know about as much about that as Game of Thrones. <laughs> Tyler, do you have any investment in the Conjuring series? Uh, I love the first one. Um, have not seen any of them since. Then. Mm -hmm. It seems like an an odd idea to me to make these unrelated spinoffs. Like if you went like like if you're just looking at the the box office here, like what's you know kind of coming around, you wouldn't know it's directly linked to any of those other films. 
even like uh, even coming up until it was released, I didn't realize it was part of Conjuring. I I, I only found that out after the fact. Yeah. The Conjuring series does seem to have like its supporters from horror fans. I know a lot of horror fans that are like, yeah, the whole series is great. No, from, really. From what I understand, this new one, The Curse of La Llorona, <laughs> uh, that seems to be the first one that like people generally don't seem to like at all. Yeah, and I think, uh, what was it, The Nun last year it was oh. really awful. Mm-hmm. I heard about that too, and then The Last Key, I think I heard people didn't like. Generally, like the, the critics uh, across the board are a huge okay. fan. But... Uh, what's her name, though? She's always good, uh, the one that was in The Last Key. Um... Who's that? Is she the the older lady? Yeah, yeah. What's her name again? Oh, uh, Lynn Shay. She's always fantastic. Yeah. Uh, she's the only saving grace of that movie, though, and I don't really want to see the nun or uh, the la uh, Lorna, as we call it. <laughs> We're just gonna end up changing the title completely by the end of this. <laughs> yeah. All right. We could change the title to Breakthrough at number six. Yes, number six, Breakthrough, which. I don't know, every week I do this, I forget something that we've talked about before. <laughs> uh, Disney's first Fox movie, it's about a kid who drowned and is born again. Oh, right, this is Topher Grease's, you know, reparation for uh, Black Klansman. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> it sounds boring. Yes, it does. Um, at number five, we have Captain Marvel, which is still hanging on here. And uh, this is the only one I didn't go see before seeing Endgame. I've seen every other Marvel film but this one. Uh, my thoughts are well documented. What's uh, where are you at, Tyler? Um, with Captain Marvel, uh, I waited a few weeks to see it because, uh, as, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, I um, rewatched the entire MCU series. Um, so I was finishing those up by the time I finally got to see Captain Marvel. I would say it's pretty pretty weak effort for Marvel. Um, didn't, did not find much to enjoy there. Uh, I thought it, my best description of it would be, it, it really just felt like a B movie. Yeah. Um, and I would equate it to something like, uh, the first Thor movie, I think is a good comparison. Mm-hmm. I could see that definitely, the, especially the way they, uh, draw the origin story. I could see the comparison. Yeah. Well, I think because you also have got yeah. that memory uh, plot kind of involved right. as well, so it's even more of a fish-out-of-water thing still. I, I do think, though, it it, um, it does uh, provide something when you see Endgame to have seen Captain Marvel before. That's it. Uh, interesting. Oh. To have that history with Captain Marvel, the character and whatnot from yeah. the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that does, because I, I know as we'll get into it, the character of Captain Marvel the film is something of a discussion point. Uh, were there any significant plot details in Captain Marvel you feel like uh, helped influence that? The film? Helped influence Endgame. Uh, her character? No, in, like in Endgame in general. Like, is there any information? Well, I think it. I think because it was shot after Endgame they kind of had a struggle with that, that they couldn't get it all uh, to influence something that's already done, you know? Because I know, like, going in before time, it seemed like it was going to be a significant thing, especially with the inclusion of the scrolls. Like, that seemed like it was going to be a significant <laughs> shift in the MCU, but it doesn't sound like it was, which is a little disappointing, I think. Was the cat a scroll? I need to know. No, from from what I understand, it's a different kind of alien. Okay. I, I can't remember the name right now, but yeah, it's a different but, thing. 
Well, the cat was fantastic. I'm waiting for his standalone. <laughs> the cat and uh, Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful relationship. They need a buddy movie, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, w- I would definitely go watch that one. <laughs> fantastic. Alright, uh, at number four here, we have Ugly Dolls. Um, I don't know why they decided to make a movie out of this. <laughs> have you seen the Trolls movie? I think that's probably why. That, I mean, that makes sense. Does, it, does that make a lot of money? I don't know. Uh, well, these are also like ugly little dolls, just like the Trolls in the Trolls movies, a musical. So they made a musical about their ugly dolls. The only reason I know. The only reason I know what ugly dolls are is because I have a, a box of them sitting in the spare bedroom right now. That's, you do? Yeah, why? Because they're set to go to be donated. They're, they're my fiance's old things from when she was young. I'm like, all oh. right, we need to get rid of some of this shit. <laughs> Yeah, what what are they? What what they're just ugly? Yeah, they're, that's just that's the appeal of them. It's like, oh, look how ugly they are. That's cute. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so it has a uh, it has Kelly Clarkson, Nick Jonas, uh, Janelle Mo- Monae. I like. She's cool. It, none of these people sound like actors too much. Blake Shelton no. as well. That's not an actor. So it's just like trolls. It's all musicians singing songs um, about uh, what's going oh, on in the plot, probably. And Pitbull's here too. Oh, Ice-T? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. They got a <laughs> cast of musicians. That's funny. Right? No actors, really. Uh, well, Jane Lynch, they have a couple. I would say Janelle Monae is, though. She's been really good in movies. And yeah. Yeah, it was, it was mostly the other ones, for sure, I was referring to. Like, they're not particularly good actors. Ice-T is, I mean, especially, he's he's just kind of a personality. He's been in lots of things, but <laughs> I don't know if he's acting. I don't understand this story by Robert Rodriguez. Did, the, did they need him for this? <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, that's oh, odd. Yeah. I mean, I'll see about it. My daughter might want to watch it. Maybe, maybe you'll have to suffer through that for us here. We've do, seen do the honor for us, Calvin. We, I absolutely will. I always take one for the team, and, and we've seen trolls about twenty times. So <laughs> I'll be ready. <laughs> All right, well, maybe you'll tell us more about it next week, then. Maybe. Uh, number three here, we have Longshot, which is the newest Seth Rogen comedy with Charlie Theron. Uh, I think uh, they they should pair well together, right? You'd expect the writing of uh, Seth Rogen to work well with uh, someone like uh, Charlie's Theron. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, don't, I don't know if they especially do. Laura's review makes it sound like it's just another of the... Uh, you know, is she really dating him kind of comedies? Yeah, oh, that seems, that's always going to be the case, but this, I mean, like, it's kind of, maybe it harkens back to old, you know, uh, sitcoms, like the the big fat, you know, husband sitcoms who have these crazy beautiful wives that is like, no, that wouldn't happen. Right, K- um, what, and what? I, I think it's weird because we always, like, doubt women that they're able to make the choice. It's, it's always a strange thing. People can like Seth Rogen. People can find him attractive. Yeah. It's not unheard of. He's not nearly as fat as he used to be. That's one thing. I see Laura's point because he's about forty years old, and we should probably—he should probably be moving on from that like boyhood schlubby. Uh, am I am I attractive or not? Kind of uh, role that he's been doing for about twenty years. I mean, he—I don't know if he knows how to do anything else. <laughs> yeah, he's tried a few things. Have any of them really uh, succeeded outside that? What what things? I'm not even aware of them. <laughs> Well, like, uh, This Is The End isn't, like, a romantic comedy. Um, no, no, it's like a meta thing, you know? Yeah. I don't know if... It's like a bromantic comedy. That and, like, Pineapple Express, or, like, bromances, I guess. Yeah, something like that. But it's still that kind of same 
stunted, uh, you know, kind of adolescence, you know, uh, comedy that he's still doing. The one that stands out would be uh, his supporting role in uh, Steve Jobs. Oh, yeah. Mm, was, that's right. He, he was re- really good in that, yeah. We need to see that Jonah Hill transformation from him. I guess that's what we're waiting for. Jonah Hill right. blew up. We, I think we got from Jonah Hill what we thought we'd get from Seth Rogen. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it? it? was Moneyball, I think, was the first kind of yeah. uh, notice of that. And then from there, he really took off. Like Wolf on Wall Street and Moneyball, yeah. Now, now he's trying to be a writer-director with mid-90s. Yeah. It's alright, yeah. I don't, I don't have much else to say about uh, Longshot currently. It looks kind of like what you expected these, and people will go out and see it. Yeah. I really want to see it. I, I think it looks very good. Um, I love that director. Uh, well, I've only seen Fifty Fifty, but I thought that was really good. Oh, he did. There you go. There's a there's a Seth Rogen movie that's impactful. He did Snatched though, so be careful of that. Right. <laughs> and, anyway, yeah, that's about. Uh, I think all we have for this week on that one until somebody goes and sees it. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, we have The Intruder, which uh, I I love. Uh, I love thrillers because the logline could just be like family moves into a dream property. Then the seller won't leave. <laughs> like that's all you need to know. That does sound like like at least vaguely interesting, but yeah. the reviews for it don't don't have me very interested. <laughs> no, it's about thirty on Metacritic. I, I, I I'm interested just based on that short pr- pitch, but I don't really know. I cannot believe this is number two on the box office. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, I'm I'm surprised it did more than a Seth Rogen comedy or even Ugly Dolls. I guess I have to say, yeah. I mean, because I don't, and it's not like a, it's not pushing number one at all. We could say that. Well, yeah, but it's it would be if there wasn't somebody else here. Uh, but yeah. and it's not even like there's any big talent attached to it. You got Dennis Quaid as like your your big name. Who's gonna go see a movie because Dennis Quaid is in it? Do you think it's right. just one of those like parents uh, drop their kids at Endgame and then go to their uh, you know their thriller, their date night? Yeah, this was. Like. Well, what are you going to do for the other hour and a half afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> right. Go eat dinner, you know. You I can figure out a date. There's a couple things I guess you can fit in, but... <laughs> right. I you can watch all the other movies on this top ten, then go pick your kids up from Avengers. Or you could just go see Avengers with them. Yeah. Well, I think that's the... You know, of course, no nothing else was going to compete with Avengers this week. Uh... I mean, did it blow your guys' expectations as far as numbers away? Yeah. It's, it, uh, as of today, it's beat Titanic for number two. Yep. Tyler. Yeah, I don't think anybody could have expected that um, in two weekends it would be the number two grossing film definitely, of yeah. all time. De- that, that's insane. Definitely not that quickly. I mean, I, I've been thinking this whole time that it's going to take the slot, you know, because this is... I'd like another one of those things like Game of Thrones where everyone's been watching for 10 years on this. They've been, you know, uh, kind of building towards this and everyone in the world's been joining in on it. So I'm I'm not going to be surprised at all when it passes Avatar as the highest grossing film of all time. But this quickly, wow. I mean, that's never happened. We've never had a series with 21 movies of build-up. Right. This kind of thing is an anomaly in box office. We'll probably never see it again. Mm-hmm. Well, the way I remember Avatar, uh, well, obviously I don't remember watching the box office for Titanic, but for Avatar, 
I remember it was a very slow um, effect of mm. word of mouth. Um, you know, it, it the opening weekend really wasn't that crazy for that movie, if I remember correctly. And no. it kind of built up like over the course of about two months to that figure. I feel like Avengers is kind of like people are compete completing like their journey like they went on a religious quest and now they're like returning to the temple and they have to you know get that last film in and finally be done with it for a minute mm-hmm. and that's why i think that uh you know numbers are going to drop off significantly after endgame here especially since there's not a lot of buzz yet as to what uh the mcu is going to be doing afterwards I think once you got into that mid-stretch, people started going because they had to piece together the parts of what was going on next, right? Like, now we've got that completed, and they kind of have to start again after Spider-Man here. Yeah, it definitely feels like it's going to be starting over, essentially, after this. Yeah, um, people people have been talking about, um, or we should, we've been talking about, um, like, what could be next? What What could possibly, like be the highest grossing film um after this and like honestly i don't see it um this is like the culmination of 22 movies in 12 years or whatever like you guys said and i think this is like a once in a generation type event Mm -hmm. and Uh, i don't see anything coming close to this for a long time i think the the marvel movies are going to start to slide um slowly and their impact and I don't think the Avatar movies sequels will have this type of impact either. I don't think um, people care about 3D anymore mm-hmm. the way they did about 12 years ago. Nah, that that fade has definitely, or that fad has definitely faded. Mm-hmm. Like look at Alita; it had incredible 3D, and that word of mouth barely and, and James kept Cameron's it name on it too. Right. So I don't think those things are as big billing as Disney will hope they are. I, I but think... now Disney has a top slot, so who cares? Yeah. I think another big thing that uh, contributed to Endgame success and just the Avengers movies in general kind of leading up here is the momentum of them. Having one at least each year and then multiple mm. each year each time, like, it kept it in the conversation constantly. You know, not being around for more than a decade, like, nobody's going to care about Avatar, I think. You know, for sure. I may be wrong on that. I'll be interested to see, but... Like, we'll care. A lot of the audience that went will care, but I think it'll be hard to get a lot of new audience in there. Mm -hmm. Certainly not like this was. Like, you know, it's a build over time, as they were doing, and and in significant ways. Uh, I don't know. I think the most impressive thing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is just how calculated it all was. Yeah. It's insane to keep a plot line going for that long. Do you think we should just switch to talking about the film? Yeah, I think it's time uh, to, to move on to that. We all have seen it now. God, it seems like a thousand years ago. I fought my way out of that cave. Became Iron Man. Realized I loved you. I know I said no more surprises, but... I was really hoping to pull off one last one. The world has changed. None of us can go back. All we can do is our best. And sometimes the best that we can do is to start over.
I think you just you were the last one to hold out there, Calvin, seeing it yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to wait, see it with the friends. So. Yeah, it's still uh, fresh enough in your memory, Tyler. Oh yeah, certainly. I've been thinking about it a lot over the past like ten plus days since I've seen mm-hmm. it. I think uh, uh, all um, of us kind of have, yeah. Yeah. So I'm probably the least educated in like Marvel and everything. I've never picked up a Marvel comic book in my life, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done at least a little bit of reading, but you know, for the most part, I've done my my effort to keep up with what's going on in the MCU and be invested. I think that's the other thing is that definitely, Calvin, you are the least attached to these films of us here. <laughs> I mean, I like them as like guys' night out or whatever. I like enjoying them with my family, but I, I don't I don't repetitively watch them, and I don't I don't look forward to them in any way. <laughs> What's your position, Tyler? Uh, I've grown up a Marvel fan and um, superhero comic book fan my whole life, uh, for sure. Um, when the first com- uh, Iron Man came out, I was probably 16. Um, and I would say in the recent years, I've felt some oversaturation with the Marvel movies, with the MCU um, and that's kind of tempered my excitement from where it used to be maybe 10 years ago. Um, but overall, I still enjoy these movies. Certainly. I think the, the strongest facet they have them is, uh, you know, very enjoyable characters. And I think that's what everyone really attaches to. Even from the very beginning, I, I remember watching and being excited for when Iron Man came out as well. And, Robert Downey Jr. kind of set the precedent there of establishing this, you know, character that we want to follow and really enjoy. And that kind of feels what, like, Endgame really is, and that's why it feels so conclusive, is that this really is the conclusion to Tony's story completely. And it has, each Avengers film has kind of felt more like a Tony Stark film than anything. You know, I was, at that point, I was a year out of college, so it's like, I look at it generationally, I didn't really have the comic book movies to grow up on, other than, like, a Tim Burton's Batman or whatever, there wasn't, like, a good precedent for me to get into them, Mm -hmm. since I don't read comics, right? So, I see that as why it's generationally different between us three. Certainly. I think I was youngest at the time it came out, I was, you know, maybe, like, just starting high school. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, So, what's your perspective, David, coming into this? Uh, I've enjoyed the series a lot. Um, you know, I was... I think Endgame was the one I was least excited for out of all of the kind of Marvel movies coming up here. I've been keeping up for the most part. Um, but like I said, I've been invested in the characters. I've enjoyed the dynamics of all the actors going on. And it's just been a ride to watch all the way. So I was excited to see the conclusion of this, I think, more than anything. Like I said, I'm I'm very much in the camp there with Tyler that I'm a little tired now. And I'm ready to, to put it to bed. And I think uh, Endgame does a, a good job. I don't think any of us could begrudge you of that because it's been about twenty-three films, twenty-two, right? It's a lot. <laughs> and I can't do what Tyler did, watching them all in a row like that. God, no, I couldn't do it either. How, how, how was that for you? Was that overwhelming at all? Um, for me, um, it was a little bit overwhelming by the end, um, but. Watching the first phase movies again, um, and, and the phase two a little bit, was pretty rewarding, uh, just because it had been a long time since I'd seen those. 
And I um, so like going I back to it. Iron Man is always a good watch. Like that movie gets me pumped up anyway. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I yeah those older movies um, is where I really found enjoyment. Um, and then as I got closer to the end here, um, I started um, losing it a little bit. I would say just because I had seen them recently, and I would say Phase Three in general has been. A little more hit and miss for me. Mm-hmm. I know you definitely weakened a lot more on uh, Infinity War after watching it this time. I think I'm the only one here who still enjoys it a bit more than Endgame. Like, only a bit, I would say. Maybe the only one who enjoys it more. I think I am definitely of us three here. <laughs> yeah. I, I, didn't even, what... I didn't even love Infinity War. I thought it was just like a commercial for this movie. So... Well, and I think a bit differently about that because I, I mean, the, I think the thing with it that you got to look at more is that it's definitely more of a Thanos film. It's very much less about the Avengers and what's going on with them, but it is a complete story for Thanos from beginning to end. You know, and he has a right. mission of getting all the stones. He accomplishes that, and it's a very nice ending for him. So if you view it that way, then it feels much more complete. Otherwise, yeah, if you only look at it from the Avengers' perspective, then yeah, they didn't win. So then of course, it's it incomplete. Feel. <laughs> yeah. None of the characters are ever developed beyond Thanos, and it, it doesn't really go anywhere for me. That's that's definitely a thing, is that the characters have a much better opportunity to express themselves and interact in Endgame more than uh, uh, Infinity War. Infinity War is very kind of rushing through each plot point to get to the end, because there's so much to do in such a little time span. And you get a three-hour movie, they have about two and a half hours to uh, interact and build character development, which is uh, like uh, the total runtime of Infinity War. So. Yeah, and that's the thing. So if you like the characters, is kind of your big thing with Marvel films, then you'll probably like Endgame more. Would you say the same, Tyler? Yeah, I would. Um, that was my biggest takeaway from uh, re-watching Infinity War before this. Uh, when I saw it in theaters, I was... I thought it was pretty good, um, and I was—I would say the best part about it is Thanos, like you guys said. Mm-hmm. Um, Bro- Brolin gives probably a better performance than than you would expect, or better than the movie actually expects as well. Better yeah. than we could have hoped, uh, certainly. I think. I mean, he was built up over since what the first Avengers. We kept seeing him in teases for, like, there was no way to anticipate that we'd get an actual good, compelling, well-written character here. And I think the biggest shame of that, then, is that that Thanos is non-existent in Endgame. The threat- like you say, I think, I think he had his story uh, started and completed in the last one, and so there was only like a nudge to kind of get him in there to conclude uh, the actual Avengers stories. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, we've made it clear yet. Is this a non-spoiler section? No, no we're going to spoil or... the hell out of it. I think. Yeah, I think we're... <laughs> okay, full spoiler. From here on, yeah, like, on we might as here. well just go, because in the first ten minutes of the film, we just kill Thanos outright. He's just dead. <laughs> we show up on the planet, and Thor aims for the head, as he says, and he <laughs> chops it right, right off. He kind of, like, Ow. he kind of zones into the area, and then it's just off with his head. Mm-hmm. That was an awesome moment, um, yeah. because that happens, and then you're like, okay, I have no idea what this movie will be now. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the subversion of it, right, is that you think they're going to get there, and it will be another fight against Thanos, and then Thanos is gone most of the movie. I mean, it, 
I think it's kind of a fitting end for him. Like, he wasn't going to make it very long afterwards anyway, and he, ever since the snap, he looked like he was about to die from, you know, incurring so much damage from it. And so, uh, I think about it as well, because then that Thanos is gone from the story. He's essentially won still, because he destroyed the stones, and so he accomplished his mission and did everything. Even if he only survived for, like, a week afterwards, he still did his job. So the, the Thanos from Infinity War is... The winner is still in the way, and then we have to undo everything through time travel to do so. And I think that's where uh, Endgame is at its weakest, is whenever new Thanos is back in the picture, because he has none of the history or interesting characteristics that he did in Infinity War, so he just feels like a big baddie that we have to take down. I'd agree with that, yeah. Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing. So the final fight feels so much less, uh, you know, emotional than it did in any of the fights in Infinity War, because there's no uh, relationship between Thanos. So there's even, like, a moment where Scarlet Witch, like, calls out him and says, you know, something like, uh, you know, you killed, you know, uh, Vision or whoever he says, or something like that. You took something important away from me, and he's basically like, I don't even know you! And it's like, yeah, that that kind of takes a lot of the interesting aspects out of it. Yeah, I would say that the emotional moment of, like, defeating the villain is felt in the first ten minutes the one that we've spent all of Infinity War with. Um, and so then when it, you know, when they do it again later in the movie, it doesn't feel the same because you have no relationship relationship to this Thanos. He's just another um, maniacal villain. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, he doesn't feel like he has any of the nuance or interest that we got in Infinity War. And I think that's a lot of the reason why I personally uh, found Infinity War to be better because, like, at no point did I feel there were any stakes necessarily in Endgame. You know, you, you always get the sense of these superhero films that they'll come out on top some way or another, um, especially with this one being a conclusion. But especially because the villain didn't feel like a threat in any way, especially when you take away, like, the fact that he doesn't have the gauntlet anymore. He is objectively a less powerful Thanos than what was fought in Infinity War. So... I'd say for what we know now that it it does have permanent stakes for a lot of the important characters. Certainly. Especially Iron Man, Captain uh, America, and... Uh, Black Widow, uh, yeah. Black Widow. And, uh, well, we had some permanent characters still die in Infinity War as well, but definitely... Weren't they all brought back no, this movie, though? No, we had a couple early on, like Heimdall and uh, Loki. They both died. And the other Gamora died. And Vision. Vision's dead, too. He's not coming right, back. yeah. But also, I mean, no character nearly as big as, like, you know, like, Tony's death. And Tony being the start of, like, this whole phase, or the first phase of the Marvel. Uh, yeah, I'll say it was it's... it was a satisfying moment for him to go out on. I, I felt definitely, like, having that come back and that moment, he says the line again and everything. And it's an emotion... I am Iron Man. Yes. It's, it's so good. It's an emotionally resonant moment, for sure, but I don't feel the connection that much, like I said, with the Thanos thing. And... Also, I guess just like the the physical thing. One thing I'll say that I, I do have a critique of Tony in this film is that they've made him too much of a super genius. He like figures out time travel like just like casually, and he you know designs his own gauntlet that works with the stones as well. Even though it was like a you know they made a big deal out of how it was forged in Infinity War. Like he's just so much of a genius now that he can basically do anything. And you did like the movie overall, Yes, right? yes, I did. I'm I'm just going to take the more cynical perspective here, because I know okay. I liked it least. <laughs> like, I think lesser. you didn't like 
I know you didn't like the time travel, but my theory is you don't like it because it says that Back to the Future is wrong. Oh, yeah, that's part of my issue, yes, is that it's it, it has the gall to try and insult my beloved Back to the Future, but then has even more confusing time travel physics. I think the, the basically the premise of what you need to know about the time travel is that as long as the stones are not removed from a time period, then there is no potential for an alternate reality. That, that's... that uh, Whatever you are in the future... Is actually, or whatever you are in the present is your past. If you go into the, uh, into the past. Yeah, it's, it's a little confusing, but it's it's there enough. Like it's basically, don't think about it, and it'll be all right. They they do a pretty yeah. bad job of explaining it first with the Doctor Hulk explaining it, but then clear it up a bit more with the Ancient One later with Tilda Swinton. I do have to say though, I do love that. That's, I know one of my favorite aspects of it was the the combination of Banner and Hulk together. I like that that character now that was a fun introduction of him i tried to run it all by you last night that uh that my wife thinks that he's milk toast and that he's uh, uh, a little bit affected right but nobody was having it well i know tyler doesn't like hulk banner as much either right yeah the doctor or professor hulk yeah, yeah i wasn't a fan of that oh you weren't why is uh, that well i mean it really hurt my enjoyment of the movie uh initially but in the time since then i think i'm I'm more okay with it. Um, I I don't know. I just really miss like original super angry Hulk and the the struggle with him uh, and Banner like against each other. Mm -hmm. Like I don't like the idea of combining those two personas. Um, I liked. I mean, calling back to the Edward Norton uh, version. Um, not that, not to say that that was some, like, great movie or anything, but... The dynamic, uh, the, the classic Hulk. The dynamic, yeah. yeah, there's a lot going on there, um, and I think it works, it works in the first Avengers movie. Certainly. Um, and I love Hulk and Thor Ragnarok. Uh, yeah. That's, that's probably the best like, when they have the actual relationship between one another, and they have to kind of work things out. That's an interesting dynamic that... I think we, we don't get a lot of in the Avengers films, and that's largely because, like, I think you'd probably feel better about this progression of his character if we had a proper Ruffalo-Hulk film. Like, you know, an actual development of that dynamic and see that character arc through. Like, this, we got it in moments throughout each film, and this is the logical place for it to go, but, you know, it only was there, like, and it's only feasible because there is that five-year gap, so it makes sense that he may have been able to work things out with hulk that way but we don't see that yeah i i do wonder what happens in that five years <laughs> yeah there's that interesting uh aspect of it there that there's a lot i i also found that it did get a little too post-apocalyptic for only like like five years and i mean you still got half the population new york shouldn't look like you know a, a rundown you know desolate place but I no, did New like New York's still big with half the people in it. I did like all of that in the beginning, though that kind of very solemn tone throughout the the beginning there, dealing with the repercussions of it all. I liked seeing like the the set piece, of the big memorial that you know Scott's running that, through. How about that opening shot too? That caught me off guard. I don't even remember it now. <laughs> the Hawkeye standing in the oh, that's right. You know, it was 
that was a great opening. It was funny. I was, I I was shocked. I, I wasn't even sure. I thought, it was still, I thought it was still a trailer when that happened. Really? <laughs> like, it was beginning. I'm like, oh, Jeremy Renner is in another film. That's interesting beforehand. It was like a cold it open. It was. Yeah, they didn't even and there was um, only... give the title card or anything like that before. I think there was but only... Once did you the guys title all... card comes, you get kind of chills because it, like, softly plays into the Marvel theme. Right. Did you guys also only have one trailer beforehand? Uh, I had a few. Okay. Uh, funny, funny story. The very first trailer they showed at my screening, opening night Thursday night for the Avengers, was Downton Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? And the whole theater that? just like erupted in laughter. Like, <laughs> what is happening? That's funny. Oh, no. Well, and that that was uh, the thing is that I only had one trailer. I had the Rise of Skywalker trailer, and then it went into the Hawkeye scene. So I thought it was another trailer, like because I'm not used to oh. only having a single trailer beforehand. I was like, and it was after like a minute or two, I realized, oh wait, this is the movie. Oh okay. No, I think I walked in as his as his family is disappearing there. So did you miss? I him? don't know if there was other trailers. Mm-hmm. Really um, powerful moment and surprising to see at the opening to a Disney movie with something like that i thought that was really good mm-hmm. i i was on board right away with that like i was like how do you go from endgame oh shit <laughs> I, I think all or of how the, do you go from infinity war sorry ever since age of ultron all of the hawkeye family stuff has been a very emotionally resonant thing that you know they can always kind of tap on and come into and that's why hawkeye has remained kind of an essential character uh of the avengers here still and yeah, he plays he plays well off a of Black Widow here too. Mm-hmm. Their their relationship dynamic set up from like the first Avengers onward, it comes back into play at uh, the planet which name I can't remember now. Yeah, I don't know the um, reception around Hawkeye's character in this movie and overall, I guess, seems to be pretty mixed. Um, I, he wasn't in Infinity War at all, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I would say over the whole um, MCU, he's been kind of underutilized. Uh, I like, I enjoy him. I love Jeremy Renner. Um, didn't have any issue with him in this movie either. So I know he, they have him on that dark path after his family dies. Mm-hmm. Would you go to a Hawkeye uh, standalone? Well, he's getting his uh, Disney Plus series. Mm. Oh right. Well, that that'll uh, be interesting, I think, then because. I think Renner could do that. Uh, he's done a really great job with the character all throughout the films, and I think a series is a better way to go than a film itself. Yeah, we're also getting the Loki series, and we're getting a Ghost Rider? That's on Hulu. Um, the Di- other Disney Plus one is um, Winter, Sol- yeah, Winter Soldier and Falcon and Scarlet Witch and Vision. Winter Soldier and Falcon, that's a weird combination, because I don't know if I, even together, those characters might not be compelling enough to to really draw much interest. How do you guys feel about them? I, I think they I think they put a lot of stock in Falcon, the way this ends. I feel like instead of having, um, we should say it doesn't have any closing uh, kind of ending trailer behind the credits, so mm-hmm. I feel like they did a lot like of that it. in movie instead. Yeah. I like that it didn't have any post-credit stuff. It's I like, love it. Oh, this is well, if, the end of it. It feels era. conclusive. Yeah, I guess brilliant. that would resonate even more if they didn't have Spider-Man tacked on to the end of this phase here. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like they didn't need to announce that. It's like the way that uh, who ended the last phase was that um, Ant-Man. Ant-Man, I think, yeah. 
Yeah, so it's kind of the same. Like, they had Age of Ultron, which felt like the end, but then Ant-Man acted kind of as, like, an epilogue. Right. And, like, looking ahead to the next, so that's kind of what they're doing here with Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I think that's really what's happening, is that this is the end, and that's the start of the next one, but it's, you know, you know, just like you said, epiloguing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think uh, overall the movie does a really great job of kind of building that, and, and more than anything, it feels like a... Uh, kind of greatest hits, you kind of because you got the whole time travel element, so you get to go back to some of the best moments of it. Uh, I think the best scenes take place in uh, the Avengers, the first Avengers uh, kind of sequence there, where they go back and see kind of the behind the scenes and what happened after they captured Loki. You were going to say that uh, you had a best scene for us. Is that is that your best scene? Um, kind of. It isn't in there actually. I did. I did some thinking over the like past week or so since I've seen it, and I decided what I think is the best scene in Endgame, and that is Cap's return to the elevator. Yep, me too. Uh, see, it's so, good. So i got a couple reasons why. I think because what it does immediately is that, first off, it sets up this, um, you know, it's a reference. It's a reference back to one of the most famous scenes in the MCU, back from Winter Soldier, which is largely credited as the best film from it and whatnot, and, you know, like the best scene from it. So it gets you excited for that. But what it does is by tapping on that, it also... Um, allows you to, to subvert your expectations of what's going on there because like you you think it's going to build up to another fight sequence as a callback and ultimately it doesn't you know he ends up walking out you know kind of using that knowledge as a strategy and then um in in that as well by because he he does the the hydra thing he uses his knowledge from uh afterwards from the events of winter soldier to manipulate and kind of change the events of a similar sequence there like the elevator essentially and he walks out, and I think it also is a nice kind of callback to the the actual comics where uh, Cap was revealed as at one point to be a Hydra agent, and so it's, it does so many things at once as a kind of fan moment, but also progressing the plot forward. And I think that's not as easy to do as it seems in that moment. So that's why I think it's the best sequence in the film. I was just going to say Hulk and Ant Man sharing a taco. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> that whole New York. Um time heist thing that you were talking about that whole sequence is fantastic Mm -hmm. um including stuff from the avengers and also winter soldier it was all really i I think the only like one of the weak aspects of it is that they really should have planned ahead more and made the dark world an actually good film because it's kind of a crucial piece of this puzzle here and returning to it is is not interesting because it's i mean there's nothing interesting going on and like there, I feel like I this... think I think this movie gives it more value than it ever had. On its yeah, own. <laughs> unfortunately, and like we're supposed to have an emotionally resonant moment with Thor and his mom, but you never get the sense that they had an important relationship because we haven't built that really before now. So it just feels hollow. Hmm. Yeah, that, that his whole talk with his mom was a little little weird. It, well, um, because we don't have. We don't have any like relationship with Rene Russo's character, no, or at least not in you know s- six years or at least. Um, but they didn't do a good job of that in Thor: The Dark World, obviously. So it doesn't really work here either. Yeah, it's it's a shame because the Dark World is obviously a crucial film in the puzzle here because it's like the one time we have access to that particular Infinity Stone. So we had to return to it in some way, and they they should have worked harder to make the Thor films better. They should have got Tyke on earlier, I guess. Yep, um, I guess that's hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, Thor um, 
started getting better over time. Uh, really found the groove in, I would say, in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. And then they continued that in um, Infinity War. I think one of the other notable changes about Thor as well that we I don't hear a lot of people talk about is that his design has gotten much better over time. They made awful choices with his design in the first film. Like, they they dyed his eyebrows blonde, and he just looks so weird. Like, if you look back at the first Thor film, and he's got he's had a much better look as time has gone on, and they've embraced uh, Chris Hemsworth's natural look a lot more. Even kind of all the way up to Ragnarok. He's funny as hell in this one. Yeah, because he carries over that comedy from Ragnarok a lot more. And uh, Chris Hemsworth is really great at it, and I think that's what sells yeah, it he is. so much. And I think my my favorite scene would be when he gets in the ship with the rocket and the and Star Lord, and they're arguing about uh, who's the leader. That's my favorite part of the film. That's that was really good. That's Infinity War. They have to oh, that's do at the end. Um, uh, as Guardians of the Galaxy. That I mean. Oh, I go day one. Yeah. Yep. I. It's just that's fantastic. The dynamic between mm-hmm. them. I think that's gonna be great. I think it's a a much better dynamic that they had from then in Infinity War when he first shows up and enters the ship. Uh, I found that the comedy here in general in Endgame is uh, a step above in Infinity War, largely because the actual cast members we have actually have a good intersection of comedy together. Uh, and hopefully when they do go forward with Guardians of the Galaxy there with Thor as a part of it, um, that will integrate even better. Although, you know, if they cut out the comedy, you could shave about 40 minutes off this movie. Yeah, there, there is still a lot of uh, kind of almost unnecessary comedy at times. But uh, largely, this is all kind of a, a victory lap kind of film anyway, you know, doing it just because we can, I think, and just kind of wrapping up all of the stuff. So I think victory lap's a good term for it. I think uh, especially Jesse thought I was going to come out the most negative. He's like, you're going to hate it, but okay, go enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, well, because it's mostly character stuff, and if you like the characters, then you're going to like the film, of course. And that's why and there's so funny many... because because I don't care about the characters, because I feel like I don't get enough time to develop them, but here I think I got a lot of what I wanted originally. Well, they, they gave you three hours to develop them, so... <laughs> yeah. How did you guys feel about the length overall? You know, I didn't notice it too much when I was watching. Uh, I did have to get up a couple times to use the bathroom, unfortunately. But um, uh, other than that, I felt like it was paced really well, because it has three distinct acts, and that helps break it up a lot better in your mind, and you're able to process it all. So you got certain objectives by each point, so it doesn't feel nearly as long. I don't feel like it was especially long. I feel like it, I mean, three hours is long, but the movie's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would say, um, I would say it's been a little disappointing to see people, uh, be so critical of a movie being three hours long. Like, I understand people have to go to the bathroom and whatnot, but, uh, it's not like three hours is too long just inherently. Like, there's been so many great films over the past 50 plus years that have been that long. I mean, a lot of the best. Right. Films. Well, I mean, each of the Lord of the Rings films was three hours just in their theatrical, theatrical cuts, you know, and people had no problem when they, that came out to sit down and watch them. I was, I was certainly hesitant when they said Avengers Endgame was going to be three hours long, but I don't think that it didn't deserve that at the end of it there. You know, it definitely uh, filled its time properly. I, th- I think you probably could have cut some down, especially in the the kind of last act there. Some of it um, gets a little repetitive, I think. But otherwise, it's... Yeah, uh, I think I know that's where um, you and I agree is the third act is where 
um, I have become a lot more critical of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk about that. But yeah, I would say overall, I thought it was a pretty breezy experience. It didn't feel too long to me at all um, until maybe that third act. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of what kind of goes wrong with the third act as well is, like we said early on, is that those stakes aren't there. Um, and just in general, it's not as well constructed as the action in uh, even in Infinity War. One of my big issues I noticed immediately is that the the plane that they decided to fight on, the setting there, is just really dark and colorless, so it, it ends up looking kind of boring. I feel like uh, Infinity War is more of an aesthetic going for it. Certainly. For sure. The colors pop it a lot more. a lot more. of purple, mm-hmm. and it, it's kind of informed by Thanos' aesthetic, so it kind of has something going uh, more naturally there. Well, even just thinking Whereas about this like, has, this is kind of such a accumulation of everything that you kind of get a little bit of every aesthetic of the old movies, and I really enjoyed going back to the old sets. I thought that was pretty brave of them to do. Well, that's why it's so color colorless and compared to like you know think about the second act and how much more color there was and returning to all the old Avengers films and whatnot. But the environment that they're fighting in in the final act here is just like a big black and gray like rocks, and that's like it. I don't even know where they are. It's, it's yeah. supposed to be Earth still, yeah? It doesn't look like Earth. Yeah, it is. It's uh, the Avengers headquarters, wherever that is. It doesn't is. look like it at all, because they've destroyed it. Like they, It's it's already completely destroyed by the time that they start fighting there. Whereas you compare it to, like, the look of Titan in Infinity War, you know, and it's got it's a very kind of reddish kind of colored planet, and even though it's a very desolate place still, it has, it has color to it, and it pops, and there's an actual environment to work with and it's just i think i like a as far as spaces i think i like wakanda best Mm -hmm. as far as like the whole mcu any space that they've ever fought in i think wakanda probably draws me in the most well i think this uh the the fight here in endgame also has some of the problems that the wakanda fight scene in in infinity war did is that there's just too much happening and that's like almost inevitable with a cast this this huge but it's just armies of like meaningless Thanos figures and they're all kind of yeah, beating them up. It becomes that's uh, pretty much paramount to the fight in Aquaman where it's just so many creatures and it's so overwhelming that it doesn't get to develop the action of any part of the fight. Well, that's... I mean, this problem has been in the MCU since the first Avengers film <laughs> uh, with the Chitauri coming down and the Avengers are just fighting hordes of um, nameless and emotionless um, armies, and then it happens again in Ultron with robots, and then it happens again here, and I would say it's even more exasperated here. It's just Thanos brings down, like, millions of creatures um, for the Avengers to fight, and it's, I don't know, it's just too much going on like you said i think the strong contrast here like with the original avengers what they do to kind of circumvent that at least a bit is that they have the heroes interact with each other and use their powers in tandem to fight them so that's really the interesting thing you're watching more than anything you're watching iron man shoot his laser off captain america's shield to hit a couple of guys and that's Mm -hmm. that's what the interesting fight you're you're watching there is whereas the the Russo brothers here, they don't seem to interact with the characters and the fighting as much here. It's a lot more of just this guy uses his powers to kill those guys, and that's not really all that interesting. Guess, and, and that's why the I, fight with Thanos I, and Titan was also really interesting, because it was all interaction-based. I guess my thing is I don't care because it's all CG. So. Right, there's not any 
practical element to it, and that's certainly <laughs> I, that's that's why I like what is it Winter Soldier or, or is it Civil War where it's all like MMA fighting and stuff that I've actually the done and can the action in Winter Soldier is great, probably the best in the whole MCU. Yeah. And, uh, that was also the Russo brothers, but it was great because it was like you said, hand to hand stuff, mm-hmm. uh, very small scale. I think that's and... what uh, Game of Thrones is still doing. That makes it so appealing is that you get the you get a little bit more hand to hand and you get a little bit more context for uh, the action of a fight. I don't really care about CG shit. Well, and the thing, the reason why I think is because there's no way to to understand it, especially with a lot of the characters' power sets. The most compelling yeah. characters are the ones who are usually more human or more limited in some way. The characters are like, all right, I know they can do this, and these are their capabilities. And that's especially, you notice this problem when you have Captain Marvel come in. Because Captain Marvel is a character who has seemingly limitless or un- un- indescribable powers. What can't she do? What are the... Well, <laughs> I, I guess she's. I guess the problem is she's busy on a hundred other planets, so she she can't do much. So, yeah, I guess that's a, a good way to discuss about this, is that for all of the having a, a film immediately before this one, Captain Marvel is kind of insignificant in this film. Yeah, she's she barely has a part in it. I thought she was fine when she was there, but I didn't... I, I think we uh, have a disagreement on that part. Well, just... In, uh, go ahead, David. I, w- I would agree with you, uh, David, that the handling of Captain Marvel in this movie was really disappointing. Um, and, and noticeable, like she's in the first act. She saves um, Tony from deep space, mm-hmm. um, and then you know she disappears. She's she's got other stuff to do, and then she's a Deus Ex Machina at the end. Comes in, saves a day. She's a Superman of this universe. Yeah. Um, and it's it. None of her the stuff with her in this movie plays well at all. I would. Say. I think a lot I think of is it. It becomes like an alt-right talking point at some point. It's it, like it certainly a Star does. Wars thing. Um, and it's like, a, I just try to dissociate from whatever the criticism is at some point. The, the, what do you mean by well, that? Well, basically the I idea... Mean that, uh, I mean, alt-right <laughs> groups kind of pick it up as like a hate fest for because it's a woman and because they think she's powerful and domineering and threatens them. Well, especially they're since... afraid of it. Especially since Brie Larson... Well, that's, that's a different complaint from what we're saying. Yeah, though. well, I think the idea as well is that it's hard to to criticize this at a proper angle without receiving some kind of backlash or anything because it, it can come across like you are critiquing the, the idea here or just the, the feminist move in general, which is not the case. Uh, I think just in general, yeah. it's, it's an unfortunately handling of the character here. They don't give Captain Marvel a lot to do. Everything they do give her, she comes across with this kind of uh, snarky or superior attitude. I think uh, that's more yeah, I so... Think she does in general. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think the... the the issue with that more so is like not having her character understood, like making this before Captain Marvel, um, you know, really hurts that. Like if you took her out of here, all you have to do really to fix the plot is find a way to get Tony back to Earth, and that's it. That's I all. mean, I know they want her to exist in the universe at this point, but I kind of wish you were introduced in the next phase instead. Right, like it, it seems like what was the point of doing it here? Um, if if my... she was busy, just just. Don't write her in yet and have her say next episode she was busy. It yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, there's a way to do it. It's unfortunate. And I think, uh, in general, there's a lot of characters that get the kind of the sideline like that um, mm-hmm. in the final battle sequence because there's just so many of them. And lots of other characters who just feel kind of out of place. And there was a bit of this problem in Infinity War 2. Like, you have people like... A lot of it, yeah. Uh, like, Winter Soldier is shooting guys with a gun. It's like, what are you doing here? 
you know, it's it's not helpful. I, that I mean, it was in, it was entirely co- incoherent to me because it didn't really build many characters except in relation to Thanos. Yeah, and even then, it's again, you know, Thanos not being nearly as threat, and none of the interaction there. It's not as interesting a fight scene. The interesting, I think, the most interesting moment where you see a significant kind of character change is when uh, Captain America picks up, you know, he he brings Mjolnir in, the you know Thor's hammer, and that's like the most mm. interesting development of the fight sequence. Yeah, but I know uh, Tyler, you, you said you weren't as up on him grabbing the hammer, right? I didn't like that. I know uh, I've heard since I've seen it that people tell me, oh, well, that's canon in the comics that happens. Um, and the people will also say that's payoff from what happened in Age of Ultron where uh, that really great scene where everybody's trying to pick up Thor's hammer mm-hmm. and uh, Captain America goes to pick it up and it like moves slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It played weird for me. Uh, I would rather just see Thor have his hammer back, personally. I, I think yeah. I, I really enjoyed what it was because it did feel like a you know a moment uh, of it for sure you know a significant moment and it played well I think and it, like I said the action of it was one of the more interesting moments of it because there's actual play within the powers there using it in tandem with the shield that's you know some of the most interesting thing going on there I do agree I think that he kind of him holding on to it from there did feel like it was a bit out of character like him continuing to use the hammer. But if it was just for, like, that one moment to kind of turn the tide of the battle more so, I think that that would have played even better for me. But overall, I enjoyed it. I like it because it brings him into relation and context with the, the other heroes in some way. And that works well for me. Yeah, but eventually it all kind of leads up to the only other significant moment than that is when they manage to, uh, Tony managed to swipe the stones from Thanos, make his own gauntlet out of his... That's a weird thing. Too. Out of his suit... Again, it's a weird thing, like, why even did you need to make a gauntlet to begin with? But anyway, that's how <laughs> that's how the fight ends, is that Tony grabs it, he snaps his fingers to make Thanos and all those people go away, and then he dies. It takes a long time for him to die. Like, the, the way they built up for how significant the damage would be and why Hulk had to do the snap the first time, like, you would have thought it would just obliterate him. But it's just kind of a very slow <laughs> they... death. There's never been so much important snapping in a film since a jazz movie. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we need uh, Pepper Potts to come in and uh, get her last words with Tony. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Pepper Potts was probably my least favorite of the characters in this film. Yeah. Well, why do you say that? I just thought she wasn't very... I didn't think she added very much to the plot. I thought she was kind of brought in, and she hasn't really been a parent in the MCU in a very long time for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, w- I would say that's the case with a lot of characters in this movie, though. Yeah. Um, I, but yeah, I see what you're saying. Pepper definitely, like, especially what was because the last one, Iron Man three or something. Or, yeah, or Civil War. I don't. It was Iron Man three. She was last time a player, especially as far as the rescue outfit went. When she was actually in the suit, that wasn't. Yeah. That she was only in it once, and that was like in the very end of Iron Man three, and nobody even remembers that now. So having her come back as a player like that is kind of like, oh, I forgot about this, and it's weird, and. So her placement in the My fight sequence... My wife whispered, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Her place in the fight sequence doesn't feel as earned as really as any of the other characters. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if Gwyneth Paltrow's even, like, big on doing this anyway. She doesn't ever seem like she's wanting to be involved in that aspect. She, she definitely seemed less interested since, you know, with each subsequent film. Her she's and... very, very good in the Iron Man trilogy. Mm-hmm. She is good in those. 
But definitely, even my, like my rewatch of Infinity War, she's in it for like that very beginning, and then that's kind of it. I thought it gave a lot of time to like her and to Don Cheadle and characters that we don't really care about anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely think that's the case. Like uh, sending off uh, War Machine and Nebula together is a weird pairing for yeah. to get the. I think it's the Space Stone, Super right? Weird. No, it's the Power Stone in that case. Uh, didn't bother me though. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't not together. like it. It's just it was kind of like, oh, that's interesting. It definitely it, it weakened. I think that that act more so, but it wasn't. It was only the the second worst of the three there, I guess. <laughs> it was a weird choice. Um, how they sent them off together. Um, going off that, we could talk about because we only really talked about like when they're doing the time heist, which is the second act, I guess. Yeah. Um, or not really a time heist, I should say, when everybody's going to collect the Infinity Stones. Um, we talked about New York, but so then there's also, like you said, now, um, isn't there two other teams? The one that goes to the 2014 Guardians of the Galaxy space, mm -hmm. and then the team of Black Widow and Hawkeye goes to Vormir um, from Infinity War. Right, and that's where uh, we get the, the Soul Stone. That was a weird plot detail, I guess, that the Nebula, who kind of knows everything going on with that, didn't inform anyone of how to get the Soul Stone, so, every, you know, like, N Natasha and Clint are surprised when they have to sacrifice someone. Right, I was just thinking, like, what if, um, what if, what if Nebula and uh, War Machine had gone to Vormir instead? Like, they have no relationship with, with each other. Mm. Right, like, uh, that would be the interesting thing. Like, you take any two, like, even just swap out one of the characters who did go there, like, send Natasha and uh, Nebula or whoever, then what do you do? You can't throw any, like, you have to have someone there you love. Like, oh, you gotta turn around and go get something then. <laughs> there were some really yes. uh, great pairings in the film, too, though. Like, I loved uh, Hulk and Ant-Man had some good pairings. Um I like yeah, Paul uh, Rudd. Paul Rudd saying? was really good in this. He movie. gets kind of sidelined though even... after he joins up with everyone. Like he gets there and it's all yeah. By the third act, he does. But then he turns into the giant Ant Man from the Ant and the Wasp. From like it's fantastic. For like one moment, and that's about it. I still yeah. I still nearly and... cheered. <laughs> I, I, I and you have hope, uh, Evangeline Lilly. She comes mm -hmm. in. for like a moment as well. Uh, again, it's another one of those characters that gets just kind of dropped because they're they're not as important. We're like, oh, we got to show them at least for a couple seconds so they can make it in the the real, you know. But that's about it. Uh, but yeah, I found all that pretty annoying. Just dropping in random characters for the past twenty two movies just to say, oh, hey, there's blank. Mm-hmm. And and that's where a lot of I think the falls of the movie kind of come in is that there's a lot of dropping of moments and, and especially there's a lot of fan service kind of callback lines and everything like when everyone shows up again that's that's one moment where we get a couple of those i, I think all of the fan service stuff works in the uh the heist sequence where we're getting all that kind of and we go back to the first avengers film but in the finale is where it doesn't work but the finale does feel conclusive. It feels good, like I said earlier. When when Iron Man does the snap, it feels like a good end to his character, even if it's, you know, kind of like... It doesn't make a whole lot of sense as far as the mechanics of it. But then we get a very nice moment, like the epilogue of it, with the funeral sequence and everything. That all feels very deserved for the character in earnest, and it feels like a very conclusive moment. 
and especially afterwards when we get Cap's finale as well. Yeah, I think Cap and Iron Man got a good send-off here. It's very satisfying. Mm -hmm. It certainly is, and uh, I think especially for Cap's character, because that kind of feels like what he has wanted all along, um, and it, it definitely feels like a kind of significant wrapping up of that. Um, you couldn't ask for a better ending for, I think, either of those characters. Uh, and I think that's really what all you could hope for out of this film, is that we got a satisfying conclusion to these characters we've been following for 22 films. Do you think they want it out of their contract? Oh, most certainly by this point. I know, I mean, I think, especially in, like, uh, Spider-Man, especially, like, Robert Downey Jr. is kind of phoning in his, uh, you know, his acting there. Just kind of doing whatever. And, uh, do we know, is uh, the next Spider-Man, it takes place after this? Yes. Does it take place? I thought it. That, that'll be interesting to see. Like, I'm wondering, because uh, one thing the MCU's been kind of bad at is dealing with the, the kind of real-world effects of everything kind of going on. Like, they try and do that a They're bit. They're horrible at it. But, well, they try and do that a bit with, like, the Civil War stuff and Sokovia Accords and everything, but, like... And they do a bad job. As far as for actual, it's like, terrible. public reception of all this crazy shit happening in the world, there's none of it. it so, my biggest plot problem was that when Spider-Man goes back to school, his friend's right there, and he's like, oh, everything's back to normal, but shouldn't half of these kids been suspended into, like, a five-year time frame while the others all graduated it just acts like everyone in the school went into a got dusted and came back at the same time it's so bizarre yeah well i think um that remains to be seen we'll see that in the next spider-man film how they handle the fallout from all this but i would agree that it's a little concerning that I would say it seems a little like they're just going to hand wave all that stuff away. That's how it looks. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, you that, you got to do something with those consequences. It can't just be back to school. And it seems like right. that's where, especially that's the sentiment you would get with the end of Endgame there. It's like, oh, we got everything back to normal. And, like, they just try and ignore what kind of came before. In general, like, again, like I said, they've done a bad job of representing what people, you know, living in a world where real alien threats exist like nobody is is giving us a sense of that you know actual mm. the, the repercussions of that and that's one thing i think that's missing from the mcu significantly but i don't think that they'll implement in the future and i think that that allows them to keep making them so quickly is that they don't have to create any you know they could have a plot line but they don't have to make consequences for it Oh, yeah, because, like I said, it's always focused on the characters, you know, that's the only thing that matters. The people only exist yeah. to be in danger, essentially. They don't even get a chance not, to react. <laughs> it's not quite Spider-Man 2, where everyone in the cities, you get, like, cuts to, like, non-actors who are affected by something. Like, something fantastic like that would be really nice to fit into a Marvel film for once, where, you know, Raimi was able to extract actual real-world reaction to something going on in the movie. Right, well, that's a real strength of the Raimi films, is, and it and it adds into Spider-Man's character there. His influence as a heroic figure is felt because the people resonate with that and they react to it. But that's not the kind of film that Marvel wants to make here. They no. just, they want to make, you know, the kind of wish-fulfillment superhero film. Hmm. Which is okay, I would say. Um... They do a little of it in early on in this movie with uh, the Captain America, like, sitting in on a, I don't know what you call the it, like an emotional... Support meeting? Uh, yeah. Gathering between New York citizens. 
Like a support meeting or something. Yeah. Support group, yeah. But but that's essentially it. It's a quick moment. It's over as quickly By the as way, it's there. <laughs> I, yeah. I kept hearing this had gay representation, and I thought it was referring to, like, Captain Marvel or something. But uh, no, it's just like a quick cameo from one of the Rousseau's. Right. I don't think that's really representation. I think that's as minimal as you could possibly get. Saying there's one character that talks about his husband isn't. You know, I'm watching. I'm doing like a trans festival now. In, in That's 20, actual representation. In 2019, it's not enough just to say, "Oh, there's a gay character there." You know, like that is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's just mostly a clickbait title that's kind of floating around. I don't know. Did, did someone actually I say that? I or? just, I just think if you're going to do it for the first time, you better make a point of doing it the right way. Is right. all I'm saying. I get that. And I think that's it's a little surprising that it. they haven't done anything yet. True. I know. I think they got to get on it. I don't know. I mean, who would be the the best uh, LGBT? Are they going in that direction with Captain Marvel's character? Because well, it seems like they might be. I think Brie Larson, especially when she gets the haircut, not to make any stereotypes, but she's been making a very public push for them to get into uh, representation. And mm-hmm. So I have a feeling well, they might with her. And Captain Marvel, her quote-unquote um, love relationship in that movie would have been with her... Her friend, um, right? Her friend, yeah, from the from eighty nine. From the her name. flight academy, whoever her friend was, right? Yeah, that was essentially like a a stand in for. Uh, Romantic like lead, a, yeah. Yeah, so I wonder if they'll go in that direction. I think they totally could, and they could handle it well. I think that would be the best purpose she could have. I also think that's why people have vitriol towards her, because she's trying to change so much, and she's only been in. You know, a little bit of one movie and not in a very good one herself. Well, I think the majority of us will welcome that change, though, especially something like that, which can add some actual interest to her character. That's the the biggest thing they're fighting here, really, is that they got to do something with Captain Marvel, not just uh, have her here. Representation is is one thing, but you got to actually to make it meaningful. You got to make it you know interesting as well. Yeah, make it. I important. think that's pretty concerning for them going forward. Is okay. Who's who's the next Iron Man and Captain America. Yeah. Who's going to drive this universe forward? And if they had in their back of their minds that it was going to be Captain Marvel, I think that could be a problem. I think it's a huge problem. Right. Yeah. She has so far not been built up to be a likable character. Uh, the first, her movie was not great. Uh, her per- presence in this movie was almost non-existent do you think it's because they had to go shoot captain marvel during this movie because <laughs> it was shot after those a lot of those scenes right I, i'm not sure um it, it could be part of it but just the way that uh they've uh included her character so far has been pretty it's disappointing a little bit suspect mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah. i think it's because she always shows up and looks like she's resentful for the scene she's in she does, yeah. She looks like she resents the whole thing about it and the audience in some sense. So I think the audience responds to that. I think hopefully uh, <clears throat> that they figure out what they want to do going forward. Uh, they may have to course correct here and change their lead characters from somebody else other than Captain Marvel. But if that's the case, I think they got to kind of act quickly and do that because, I, like I said, I the strength... They'll of... go, I think they'll go with Black Panther or something as like a leader for the next phase. Black Panther and Iron Man seem pretty logical. Everybody seems to love Tom Holland. He's so young that he could be doing this for the foreseeable future. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Spider Man and uh, Black Panther. Could I don't. Be a good pairing. I don't know if Spider Man's a strong enough character on his own to become a leader, but Black Panther definitely uh, seems to be the the go to. That would be the smart thing with with the players that we have available to us currently. You you move forward with making Black Panther kind of the lead of everything here. He already has a natural role as a leader, and the population greatly responds to him. That's the logical play in my book here, and then hopefully you integrate him with future series. Namely, like, like uh, yeah, Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Four. <clears throat> that's the best angle, I think, to go out here now that they have them. Disney buying Fox and getting those properties, that's the best thing that can happen for Marvel from here. Because those two big franchise names, that's what's going to get people to come back. Because right now, they haven't given us much other than you know what we currently have on the field. I think Bro's probably the most well-read as far as Marvel. And he was telling us about all the entry points Black Panther would have for Fantastic Four, and I was getting excited about it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's hopefully what we have to look forward to. Uh, and if that's the case, In then... the MCU, did we ever get a Fantastic Four, or was it... No. Nope. It was separate, wasn't it? Yeah, it was completely separate. It was separate. a rights issue? Yeah, because Fox owned them, they've owned them, and the X-Men, and all that stuff, so... But now that Disney have bought them out, they, they have the rights to that, and certainly it's the smart move is to wait and, you know, don't announce anything until you kind of got your plan going, because... That's been the smart thing of the MCU so far is to, you know, plan like way ahead of time and have this whole thing kind of calculated out. And it paid. Mm. I'm sure Marvel's uh, holed up in their bunkers, like uh, (laughs) working the whole thing out on whiteboards, like Charlie Day. (laughs) (laughs) They're taking the whole summer off and uh, just uh, off season for them. A rebuilding season. Yeah. And I think that's, Mm. that's certainly a smart thing, but hopefully they'll come back you know, with a great new plan and have something interesting to, to tease us with to bring us all back because right this moment I'm I'm pretty done, but they would not yeah. it would not be surprising if they found something interesting enough to bring me back. Yeah. I... Well I there's still there's still stuff happening. Like they have Black Panther two, um, with Ryan Coogler re- returning. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big selling point. Mm. Everybody's going to want to see that, I think. Then you bring um, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Uh, yeah. With James Gunn back, that's an important thing as well. Especially if you do the Ask Guardians, I think it would be fantastic. I, I guess yeah. that's the, the curious thing to wonder as well, is that did, did Gunn have that information privy when he wrote that, that script originally? Because if that's the case, then I'm all on board for that. Well, he consulted on Infinity War. Do we know if he had any part in consulting early on on this? Uh, I know he had a, a couple aspects in it, like input. Um, Hopefully that came from him. Yeah. They filmed Infinity War and Endgame back-to-back, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure... Um, so maybe he did. Well, it also sounded like from the, the discussion we've had via the James Gunn conundrum there that it was being dealt with secretly almost in the immediate aftermath of that. So mm. he probably wasn't like gone, gone. I mean, only maybe for like a couple of weeks when that happened. I think, I think maybe the Disney thing was more of a public showing against his tweets. I think it was always the plan to bring him back, and that's why I've said all along. So I feel like they've probably been meeting with him since that happened. You think so? I I don't see it that way. You know, uh, I I think if it was like that, I I don't think he would have ended up um, directing doing a DC. Yeah, film. I yeah. agree. What happened There's was definitely some fallout. What I think happened was is that there was an immediate reaction from higher-ups outside of the Marvel circle that just immediately said, we're firing him because there's so much backlash going on, fake backlash that was kind of stirred up by, you know, hate and groups. also alt-right trolls. <laughs> yep, that's exactly... <laughs> a, a, lot of the, a lot of the criticism of Marvel could just be thrown out as alt-right. 
But yeah, and that's so essentially what happened is that there was an immediate reaction to it, and so to save face, like Disney couldn't immediately renege on that and look like they were making mm. flimsy decisions, so they had to kind of quietly deal with things, and so they were already, I think, working with him almost in the immediate aftermath there. Not like right away, because like a week later he got the Suicide Squad job, and good for him yeah, that he was able I think to do it, that. I think sooner or later that came along, and you know, uh this coming month, we have a... What is it? Movie from his son, is that right? Uh, Brightburn? Uh, he's producing it, I know. That's all I know. Brightburn. I think his son wrote it. Uh, that could be interesting. It'll probably do well. Yeah, I mean, his name's big enough to, to kind of carry it at least somewhat in the box office. I'm sure we'll see it in here. Yeah, trailers look pretty cool. So, I'm down for more James Gunn, too, once he gets back to directing. He, he's really carved out his, you know, his niche here and made his voice clear. He's one of the few... Tour is kind of leading in the MCU here along with Ryan Coogler so to know that they're both kind of still key players here that that makes uh, for a promising future for the MCU do you think well, the, do you the think... first Guardians of the Galaxy movie was really um, a huge moment for the MCU and like a turning point like it was when um, everyone realized like oh Marvel can really do this thing like expand the universe beyond Captain America and Iron Man. That was like, kind of like they're bringing in a tour moment. Like after that, they knew they had the leverage to do something like Ragnarok that might not have happened without that going on. Certainly, uh, but yeah, it was a huge cultural moment. One of the biggest films of the MCU, certainly, and even has you know I like the callback to to that opening moment that we got in Endgame. It was a nice kind of subversion there where we got that and, and hearing that that song again, which yeah, that was so good. <laughs> it was good. I love that. I love the, uh, uh, even though I'm probably most mixed, I have really strong feelings about uh, Guardians. I, I love those films. The dynamic of the Guardians is going to be, I think, the, the interesting aspect of the MCU going forward. Because not only do you By have <laughs> Thor involved, but you have a Gamora who has no history with them. And she has to kind of relearn everything. Right. And uh, Bradley Cooper might have got some of the most screen time on here. <laughs> yeah. And he was with great. With the Rocket Raccoon. Yeah. He's... Rocket was great. Mm-hmm. He's he's definitely I think the, the kind of standout member there. I don't, yeah, because and there, there was like no group because group disappeared in it. No, yeah. it's just Rocket and uh, Nebula. And what happened to the other guy? The guy that was uh, protesting that former wrestler. What's his name? Oh, Dave Batista. Well, he was also snapped. Yeah, he was hardly so. there. Well, because he was yeah, snapped. True. Like but Rocket. Then when he came back, he was barely there either. Well, and because like. everyone who came back only showed up for the final battle. Like you could say the same thing about Doctor Strange. You know, like they were only there for those last. 20 minutes or so and only you know they only got their two seconds or whatever on screen every moment by the way if you're making doctor strange 2 they didn't play into it very well here oh man yeah i didn't even think about that that's that another one that's coming doctor strange i guess he'll be a significant part of the you know forthcoming mcu so maybe they have to rebuild that because they didn't do they didn't do shit in my mind in this one i thought they did a good job in infinity war rebuilding his character and giving him new context but he's kind of dropped here well yeah because he i think was... everyone that got dusted but yeah he because he was one of the people who got dusted so they don't none of those people got any character moments really but he was good in infinity war so i think there's a promising aspect to him there in the future but how they'll do that who's to say I think what we needed is a little bit of Captain Marvel in Infinity War if they were really serious about her. That would have, uh, I think that would have helped a lot. Yeah, I think that's the the probably the biggest disappointment of Endgame is that they didn't give us anything more with Captain Marvel to to be interested in. And Although it, uh, we did we did get some uh, women in there that were pretty powerful. I liked uh, Black Widow a lot, but of course I did. Yes, of course, because you've got a huge thing for Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> 
Who doesn't? <clears throat> but she's got her, you know, and you'll get more of her with her forthcoming movie, though I don't know exactly how that'll play. I think it's, it's going to be cool. yeah. the origin story. It has to be, right? Yeah, she's dead. Yeah. And uh, maybe Hawkeye will be in it if it's a prequel, like them doing missions together. Well, that'd be interesting. That'd be it, it'd give even more weight to their relationship and the, their scene together in Endgame then. Yeah, Black Widow is the kind of weird character that I could kind of get behind because she's not like a fan favorite by any means and kind of hot, but we'll see. <laughs> I think, I, I kind of think she is a fan favorite. You do. I think the MCU's done her dirty yeah. over the past 10 years. Like, she should have had a movie in Phase 2, probably, I mean, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't see how Captain Marvel got one before her, but okay. I, I think the thing is that they don't trust that she can carry her own film necessarily, or she they didn't until now. And I can see why, especially since she's not a super-powered individual. But, I mean, obviously now they're giving her the ability to, and we've all seen it. And it's not like Scarlett Johansson can't carry a movie on her own. No. I, I mean, I could attest to that. I've watched Under the Skin a thousand times. They've done a good job with her yeah. character, too. Like Absolutely. I thought she was one of, uh, one of the key characters in this movie, for sure. She got um, some of the best I, emotional beats, and she was one of the most well-written, I thought. She was well-rounded. Yeah, her peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> moment. That, that was they, funny. They have good uh, food moments in here between the taco and peanut butter and jelly sandwich and Thor's uh, overindulgence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lots of food-based humor, I guess, that works in Endgame. <laughs> yeah, finally uh, finally, the Avengers have to eat. Now they got a feast. Well, I mean, they had their shawarma, you know, woman in the original <laughs> Avengers. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, this isn't, you know, new unfound territory. That people eat. Yeah, in Avengers films. <laughs> right. Anyway, I think the that's about all, though, we have to, to say here about Endgame. And, you know, we have uh, optimism looking forward, if, you know, not so a little hesitant. Hold on, I have another hour on feminism and Captain Marvel. <laughs> I, I think we've set our part for that, and certainly... Okay, so the... my main concern is that we get more feminist movies, and I'd like Brie Larson to take the charge. Um, I'm really worked up about this, so just give me an hour. Okay, well, we'll, we'll let Calvin go ahead and do that on his own. I think Wait, we're... you guys... <laughs> you guys aren't joining me? No, no, you got this one, man. I trust that uh, you, you'll be able to represent us both equally in this facet. Yeah, so I, I think the important part is that we just start uh, start over with their origin story. Just do a redo, a remake of Captain Marvel. Oh, God. We don't need uh, any more remakes than what we're already getting. True, true. Um, it was good having you on, Tyler. I hope, uh, hope you'll join us sooner than later. Yes, me too. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, great. And uh, a lot of great discussion about the film. And hopefully next time uh, it'll be... Um, Something less blockbustery, maybe, because we talked about glass and this now. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and um, also, real quick, just want to plug uh, the couple of pieces I wrote yes. on the MCU. Absolutely. Um, I did one on Phase One, uh, one on Phase Two, and uh, Phase Three will be coming out after Spider-Man. Yep. So... Uh, did you want to talk about that process at all here? Uh, yeah, I just went back and rewatched um, all 21 films uh, leading up to Endgame um, over the course of about, about a month, um, and just like re like gauging my thoughts on each of them, uh, how they fit into the universe, um, what works in all of them and what doesn't. Um, obviously, I think some are a lot better than others. 
Um, I have I did a ranking on his, uh, on my letterbox um, at T Money Talks. Um, I have number one as Winter Soldier, and the worst MCU movie as The Incredible Hulk. I think. Uh, how about could you, could you just give us your top five here? Yeah. Um, top five, I believe it was Winter Soldier one. Um, I think Thor Ragnarok two. Um, the Avengers, the original one. We'll see. At three. Um. Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one at four, and mm-hmm. then Black Panther at five. And I, I think, think my, okay. mine's pretty similar. I'd have Ant Man, Ragnarok, <laughs> Guardians, Black Panther, Iron Man in that order. I, I think you're the only one who likes Ant Man like that much, but <laughs> I think I, I think generally the the consensus is right with what Tyler says there. You know, Captain yeah, America being good. the best. You know, and Avengers, Guardians, and Black Panther being highlights as well as Ragnarok being for generally just one of the most fun films in the MCU. And Iron Man's not far behind the original Iron Man there, and I think that's the general agreement of these are the best that the MCU has to offer, and they're all really great. Yeah, so go check mm-hmm. that out, and Tyler has a great review of this film up on the site, so check that too. Yeah, well, again, so thanks again for giving us so much Marvel discussion here, Tyler. I think you've given us a lot of great insight, and especially having you on this podcast as well has lent it even more credibility. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And we finally figured out what Game of Thrones is, which is a, a step up. Yeah, I'll have, um, uh, by the time this goes up, I'll have a new review for episode four on the site, probably. Okay, and we'll have that and the review of the Tolkien biography next month. All right, y'all take care. All right. <laughs> Look, it's like a match in my hand to black to tan. Heavy metal rhythm from a one-man band. Bust my knuckles in a junkyard scuffle Whipping adversaries with a brass belt buckle Born in the ghetto, hard like metal Got an 87 vet with a fat gas pedal Live a hard life, shave with a knife Love to get freaky on the gloomiest nights I got childhood scars in the streets of my life Girls laugh, now they're begging to be mixed up my wife The new breed is here, vigilantes of rap Got eyes like fire with my boys in my back Revenge and the rumors must end Freaky breathing is out, boom, music is in A lot of dummies get money just for clapping their hands Not the style or desire of a true Iron Man You know what I am <laughs> The true Iron Man of rap Dropping this big metal Now that's true metal. Posse up. Yeah.